just been so excited about our move from the second floor to the 13th floor. And I've been thinking about it. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense because it's required a lot of physical work. You know, we've moved things up to the 14th floor out of this room to create space and been spending a lot of time hot and sweaty and moving things around. And I thought, you know, why is it? I'm so excited and feel so energized about it. And I've realized that it's because I'm all the teams All the Sunday teams are coming together to work to make this happen. So I'm seeing this group of hosts and greeters and setup and teardown and worship and prayer and AV and all of our teams, our new elevator team, pushing this thing forward to make it happen. And I think it's so life-giving to be a part of a team. Now, this is an announcement. If you are not a part of a team, (laughs) I highly encourage you to find out more and to join one because it really is fun to help this community happen by being on a Sunday team. So if you want to do that, you just fill out a connection card and we will get in touch with you. But that was an honest expression of my excitement. It wasn't just about the announcement. Because one of these things that I love about the river is that it's a place where people come together side by side to pursue faith and life together and not move through life alone. And sometimes coming together side by side is sheer joy. And sometimes it's really messy. But even in the messiness of relationships, wonderful things can happen. And I want to tell you a little story. I got married to John when we were 21 years old. And John's parents, Bill and Margaret Firsty, lived in another state. And we would see them about one time a year. So when we were married, just uh, several years, you know, I'd seen them a handful of times. And we had this distant relationship going. And part of the reason that it was distant was because I didn't call them anything, meaning that mom and dad felt awkward, Bill and Margaret seemed not quite right because I was 21 and they were older. And so I would just wait for eye contact with them and then I would start a conversation. And that went on for years. And it was really strange. But I was thinking the other day about Bill and Margaret and how much I grew to love them. And I was thinking about... and interaction that I had with them that was actually an opportunity to deepen our relationship and to set it on a new course. It was at a wedding. John and I had been asked to officiate a wedding of Doug and Emily. We knew Emily, or I met Emily when she was married to Jim, and later she divorced Jim, met Doug, fell in love, had this lovely, fun romance, decided to get married, 
and Emily and Doug asked John and I to marry them in this beautiful, open, outdoor space in Michigan near a roaring river and beautiful trees and flowers. And there are about 80 people at this wedding that we didn't know very well, if at all. And in attendance were Bill and Margaret Firsty. Now, I, in my younger years, saw Bill and Margaret Firsty as very accomplished people, very successful, very intelligent. And as a person in my early 20s, this was really intimidating to be around them. So here I was helping to officiate a wedding with my in-laws present, and I just really wanted to make a good impression. So, but I was nervous. So it was my job to call the wedding to order. Eighty guests, imagine this, spread throughout a park. It was my job to tell them the ceremony was started. Because it was outside and noisy, I knew I had to speak loudly and clearly. So even though I was nervous, I took a deep breath and I shouted, Welcome, friends and family. Emily and Jim would love for you to come over to the awning as we start their wedding celebration. And I looked out to the crowd, and they were just kind of staring at me. And I thought they didn't hear me. I better yell this louder. So I took a deep breath, and I said, Welcome, friends and family. And at that point, John grabbed my arm and whispered into my ear, Doug, she's marrying Doug. Jim is her ex-husband. Yes, I was absolutely mortified. And I had to stand in front of all these people for the rest of the ceremony in shame and humiliation. And all I wanted to do was run to the car and hide. But it didn't end there. There was another part to the story. It's not bad enough. So there was a uh, reception afterwards. And John's parents, Bill and Margaret, gave us a ride. John and I sat in the back seat. Bill and Margaret sat in the front seat. And I was slinking down as far as I could in the seat because I just wanted to go away. And I was just thinking, don't say anything. Please don't bring anything up. No one mentioned this. Maybe no one really heard it. You know, I was just kind of trying to self-soothe. And then I saw this little smirk appear on Bill Firsty's face. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. And he said, you know what my favorite part of the wedding was? <laughs> no! <laughs> don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Well, he said it. It was when you called Doug Jim. <laughs> and I just couldn't deal with it. It was just like too painful. So instead of dealing with it, I just jumped in and changed the conversation completely. And we never talked about it again. Well, now that I'm older and I've learned a little bit more about relationships, I know I missed an opportunity 
in that car when I changed the subject. And an opportunity that would have developed the relationship I had with them. Instead of trying to guard my tender feelings by avoiding the subject, I could have responded to my father-in-law and said, that sure wasn't my favorite part. I was mortified. In fact, it was so hard to just stand there because I just felt so stupid. And now I'm dreading going to this reception. I don't know how I'm going to live this down. That was a conversation start that would have opened up and deepened our relationship. It was a chance for meaningful connection. But in order to get there, I had to face the messiness. And that's just really hard to do sometimes. So for the past couple weeks, we've been on this series, How Do I Really Feel About God?, And for the last two weeks, Charles has been talking about the parable in Luke 15, known as the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm guessing by now most of you are familiar with it because we've been talking about it a lot. But for those of you who aren't, here is a little quick recap. Now, it's called the story of the prodigal son, but in some ways, it's really the story of the crazy, kind, generous, and loving father and how his sons are able to respond to him. The story starts when the younger son spends his inheritance on crazy, outrageous stuff, loses it all, while the older son stays in place with his father and does his duty. And as the parable unfolds, we see that there was somehow a breakdown in the relationship between the older son and the father. At some point, there was some disappointment and hurt feelings and misunderstandings. And as a result, the son gave up his sonship to distance himself from those feelings and chose to interact with his father as a servant instead, slaving away in his father's household, becoming bitter and resentful. Then at the end of the parable, when the young son returns home and is radically welcomed back by the crazy, kind, loving, generous father, we see that emotional distance that the older son has created keeps him from being inside where the action is, where the life and love of the feast. This story is an example of a relationship that's gone off the rails a relationship that has lost life-giving qualities and become centered on obligations, duty, and resentment. Now, a key verse that we've been talking about also in this series, and we've been talking about actually for quite a while, is a verse that speaks to God's desire to change that relational dynamic. John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants, Instead, I call you friends. And we're going to read the expanded version of that verse. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in a servant. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. 
And I think the context of this verse is pretty interesting. Jesus is saying this near the end of his life, after spending three years with his apostles. He didn't arrive on the scene day one and say, I now declare us friends. You don't know me, but trust me, you're going to like me, and we're friends now. It was after three years. They had been traveling together, eating together, living life together, hanging out together, seeing each other at 3 a.m. or whatever that was entailed in that. And then, after all of that, was when he said, Now, you are my friends because I have told you everything. I've shared my intimate, most thoughts. I've shared everything that there is to share about me. And I've learned a lot about you. Now we're friends. So this verse wasn't just a supernatural declaration. This was a practical reality because that's how friendships develop, even our friendships with God. One of my favorite authors says, friendship makes all of life shine brightly. How do we develop the kinds of friendships that make all of life shine brightly? So we're going to take some time to look today to look at and consider all the relationships in our life, or as many as we can think of right here, and talk about how our friendships grow and what we can do to deepen them, how to deepen friendships with the people in our life, and how to deepen a friendship with God so that all of life shines brightly. So we're going to start with a very simple, basic overview of the people we interact with, the people that are in our lives. First, we've got strangers. It all starts with strangers. Everyone's a stranger until you get to know them. These are people where all you know about them is what they look like. Okay? Then we've got acquaintances. Acquaintance is someone you might know by name, and you have a very vague idea about who they are. Generally, you've met the person more than once to consider them an acquaintance, and you share at least one social circle together, like living in the same building or going to the same gym. And unless you spend time together outside of that thing that brought you together, you remain an acquaintance and not a friend. Then we have peers. Peers are people we're more familiar with. They could be a coworker or someone that you went to school with. You know their name and you have a better sense of idea of who they are as opposed to an acquaintance. You talk about your life a bit when you see each other in that situation that brings you together. But this is where the relationship ends. You might see them at office Christmas parties and catch up, but they're not a part of your ongoing everyday life. Then we have friends. Occasional friends that we see from time to time and good friends that we've spent time with. We've shared some things about ourselves. We've developed some trust. And when that trust was built we shared a little bit more, and they became good friends. Then, the cherry on top, 
best friends. We all, I think, want a best friend. A best friend is someone that we could share practically anything with. You're not required to share information, but if you knew you ever needed to talk to someone you really trust, you know they would be there for you. And it takes time to develop that kind of relationship. Time and experience, building trust, so it doesn't happen overnight. Best friends trust each other, trust each other enough to reveal their true selves, to share their failings, their fears, and to be wrong. Best friends have an equally strong commitment to the relationship so that th- when things go wonky, and they will, they're both equally committed to go through the messiness to work it out. And that's what defines a best friend. So now it's time for an exercise. John, can you help me? We're going to do a little exercise. John's going to pass out a paper. And this is where uh, we have to face maybe the only bummer of not being on the second floor is that we don't have a little desk to write on. And now you're going to have to use your legs as a desk. I am sorry about that. Hopefully there's a pen near you. But to kind of ease the blow, we've used cardstock for this handout. So maybe, you know, trying to not traumatize you guys too much, okay? So we're going to spend four minutes trying to write down people we can think in our lives of each of these six categories. Now, you won't be able to write down the names of strangers or they're not strangers, so you can write down where you encounter strangers, like at the coffee shop or on the subway, all right? We're going to take four minutes to do this, and we have a little... Who are you missing some over here? This section over here. Do we have more? Here's, oh, here they are. Good. Hopefully that's enough. Okay, so while we're passing that out, let me see if we have an extra here. No, that's filled out. Okay, so while we're filling that out, uh, we have some little filling out music to accompany us. Now, if you don't have a handout, the categories we are filling out are strangers, acquaintances, peers, friends, good friends, occasional friends, and best friends. Okay, so it's my hope that each of you have at least one name on your paper, right? (laughs) Good, that's good. So now that we have an idea of who 
we interact with in our lives, uh, maybe as strangers, all the way to best friends. Take a minute and just look at those names or those locations. And in your own way, um, thank God for those people in all those different spheres of your life. God, we thank you for these people. And we invite you to be at work in these relationships. To cause our lives to shine brightly. Amen. So now that we have specific people in mind, let's talk about some key or the key ingredient to friendship. It's conversation. Conversation is the way we build trust in our friendship. And emotional honesty is an essential element. Trust is having a strong sense of confidence that your friend cares about you and has your best interest at heart. And this trust is built slowly over time. Emotional honesty and intimacy that are the building blocks of good friendships require self-disclosure. It feels risky. Sometimes it feels uncomfortable. But it's what makes life meaningful. And even though conversation is the fuel for developing these friendships and deepening our friendships, not all conversation is equal. Some might be fun and entertaining and enjoyable, but they might not be the kind of conversation that actually moves a friendship forward. I have really fun conversations with my neighbor, Andrew. We talk mainly about dogs. He has a dog. We used to have a dog. And that's how we initially started talking to each other. Dog talk. And I realized that after a while, that was just our relational pattern. But I noticed that our friendship grew when I started talking about how I felt about my dog. And I would say things like, I'm worried he's getting older. I can't imagine our apartment without him there. And then when we put our dog to sleep, the conversation changed of, I'm so heartbroken. I really miss him. And when our conversation started including how we felt about our dogs, our friendship grew. So there's three components to friendship building conversations. The first is learning to put your feelings into words. Second, asking open-ended questions. And third, following up in order to deepen connection. Let's start by putting our feelings into words. This doesn't come naturally for a lot of people. Like it seems and feels impossible for some. Like it's an intimidating task. And if that's you, you might be thinking, come on, isn't there any way around this? No, I'm sorry. The things have to come out of the lips. That's a part of how that connection happens. 
So by expressing feelings out loud, we allow people to know us a little better, and we build friendships and intimacy. A while back, I had a new friend that I was getting to know. She was just this pot, or is, uh, this positive, upbeat person that I really admire. And I noticed that I was really struggling how to share how I felt about my life, how I felt about my family, how I felt about my work. Because I thought maybe that if I'd really express myself, maybe she wouldn't like me anymore. Or maybe she'd think I'm shallow and dumb or whatever. But after a bit of struggling and having some relationships with God where I was back and forth, working this out. I came to a place where I was willing to take the risk and give her a chance to really know me, to know my thoughts, my fears, and my joys. And it turned out that after sharing more of who I was, I remember she looked at me in the eyes and she said, I don't want to be your friend. I'm kidding. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awful? Isn't that what we all fear, right? That's not what happened. And she's now a very dear friend. So a starting point, though, for putting our feelings into words is, I feel blank about blank. I feel so sad about what I read in the news today. I feel excited about my upcoming vacation. I feel nervous about the conversation I need to have with my boss. I feel happy I'm off tomorrow from work. That's all the starting point. So right now, take 30 seconds to write your own, I feel, put in what you're feeling, about blank. 30 seconds, don't overthink it. First thing that comes to mind. So this might be something that you need to practice probably something that we all need to practice until we get into a groove where it becomes like it feels a little more natural to say I feel blank about what and once you get in practice and you kind of get going something sometimes happens that you might want to kind of keep an eye out for is that you become way more comfortable in in expressing and sharing one kind of emotions versus another So maybe if you are just really concerned about being a downer, you will get really good at only expressing positive, upbeat emotion. Or maybe if you're just someone who's wired where complaining just comes easily to you, just kind of flows freely, you may find that you might want to look at the content of your feelings and and go for a balance because we have both kinds of feelings. So that's discovering those and bringing them to our friendships. So let's move on then to the second component of friendship, building conversations, and that's asking open-ended questions. And they're called open-ended questions for a couple of reasons. One is they can't be answered by yes, no, or one word. Like, do you like pickles is not an open-ended question, but... When was the first time you ate pickles? Is an open-ended question. May not be an interesting open-ended question, but it is an open-ended question. Another reason that they're called open-ended questions is they're questions that open 
the heart. When we ask a question that will have a story for an answer, it shows an uncommon interest in someone. Because we go through so much of our day-to-day life with people who are in a hurry. They want a quick answer. They want you to abbreviate. And they want to move on to the next thing. So when you ask someone a question that has a story for an answer, you're showing a radical amount of interest. And that's a good thing. So the third component of these building, friendship building conversations is following up in order to deepen connection. Have you ever asked someone, or has someone ever asked you a question? And you think, oh, yeah. And you start to answer it, and then they kind of hurry you to the ending of what you were going to say because they're kind of done listening to you? Well, this is the opposite of that, okay? So a follow-up question then Ask someone to say more about it. A friendship-building conversation continues to draw the other person out and keep the conversation going. So, for example, let's say your friend says, I feel so excited about my upcoming vacation. If you have time to listen and further up the, the question, instead of saying, awesome, and then walking away, you would say, awesome, So tell me more about where you're going and what you're doing. That's a follow-up question. Or uh, maybe a friend says, I feel really nervous about the conversation I need to have with my boss. Instead of just saying, oh, I'm sorry. You could say, oh, I'm sorry. But what's going on at work? And follow up with a question. There's more just basic Follow-up questions that are nice to have in your back pocket, like, what's your favorite thing about that? What worries you most about that? Why do you like it so much? Those are great follow-up questions. So those are three quick practical tips for how you can deepen your friendship by deepening your conversations. Learn to put your feelings into words ask more open-ended questions, and develop stronger skills to follow up to keep the conversation going. So trust in friendships is built when you show genuine interest, express compassion, and empathy for one another's feelings. And we've spent some time talking about this in terms of probably maybe the people on your list but I'd like to kind of connect the dots because it's not that unrelated to our friendship with God. And in the phrase friendship with God, if I think about it, can sound pretty cheesy and crazy to me because I'm very literal. So for me, if I was going to have a friendship with God, we'd have to go out for lunch. Do I reserve two seats? Does he like tacos? Do we split the bill? And I think about it on very concrete terms. But as I think about it a little bit more, I realize a friendship with God is the same, and it's the types of conversations that we have with him. And what I'm expecting to happen from those conversations. And again, with any honest relationship, it revolves around our feelings. 
So here's two perspectives of conversations with God. The first is using God to help you feel better versus using what you feel to help you connect with God. Those are very different. Using God to help us feel better, using what you feel to help you connect to God. Those are two different approaches to our interactions. And I've spent a lot of time trying to connect with God to feel better, like he's medication, like he's a pain pill. God, please take away my feelings of jealousy. God, please take away my feelings of doubt. God, please take away my feelings of loneliness. And I feel like God has helped me when I've prayed that way. He's not angry with me. But those aren't the friendship-building conversations that I want to have with God. I want more than that. So here's a life, a real-life example to that. Just last Tuesday, we had our first class called Tuesdays with God that I'm co-leading with my friend Caroline. And during the class, I noticed that Caroline was doing an amazing job leading the conversation, and she had great insights. And this wonderful observation about my friend somehow got all twisted up, and the next thing I knew, I was feeling insecure about my role in the class. If she is so good then maybe I'm subpar. I'm subpar in comparison. And so I noticed I was feeling insecure. And my first response to this feeling was to pray and say, God, help me. I don't want to feel this way. Take away my insecurity. And as I prayed that, a little post-it note came to mind. It was a post-it note that I've had up by my computer for weeks using God to help you feel better versus using what you feel to help you connect with God. So I changed the conversation with God to something like this. God, I'm feeling insecure right now. I'm worried how people are perceiving my role in the class. I'm questioning why I'm here and what I have to contribute. God somehow recognizing Caroline's gifting has caused me to question my own. God, what do you have to say about this? What are you helping me see right now? I invite you to come be with me in this insecurity and help me find life. That's a friendship-building conversation. That's talking to God as a close and trusted friend. And it opened the door for great things, not just in the moment, but for, in, for deepening my friendship with God. So this week, I'd really love for you to give this a try. Try using what you feel to help you connect with God.
as a deeply trusted friend. So to wrap this up, we've talked about a few things that maybe you'd want to reflect on more. We're going to take a moment for reflection. I have two different slides that will be coming up that will be maybe some, uh, something that would help you to reflect a little bit more deeply and get in touch to what God might be saying to you right here and now. Okay. Wonderful. To end this time, I'd like to pray. God, thank you so much that you want deep, honest friendship with us. And that you care that we have deep and honest friendships with the people in our life. God, I pray that you would be a part of our relationships. That you would help us to be honest, to know what we're feeling, and to have the energy to cultivate them. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. Amen.